I am Nate. And I'm Ethan. I just leaned in for that one. Mm-hmm. And this is the silent episode. We're back. We're back. It's After fun. a little bit of a break. Wasn't that a major one? It's going to happen from time to time. Yeah, because life happens. Yeah. And we both have headphones. So we can hear each other talking. It's strange. It's really, it is kind of odd when you first do it. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, this is the silent episode. I feel like if we were being like authentic, we could make this a silent episode, like a silent film, just not talk. Like it's just quiet for like an hour. It's just background. That would be, that would be the worst. Oh, yeah, just... <laughs> and then typing. No, but the, this is not going to be uh, totally silent. We'll, we'll talk a little bit. Well, I mean, that's mainly what we're going to do. <laughs> Hopefully. I think that's kind of the purpose of podcasting. Mm-hmm. But um, the overview of this episode, we're going to review the movie Hush, mm-hmm. which is a was made, we'll get into it, it was made in 2015, 2016 release on Netflix only, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh... Well, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it's available on demand elsewhere as well, but yeah, it was released primarily on Netflix. Yeah, so you can, you can watch it while you listen to this episode. Um, the album of the week is Mars Volta, Francis the Mute, which mm-hmm. was an album Europe you were obsessed with. Yeah, and I'll talk more about that later. But I thought it fit, you know, the movie Hush, where the the lead character is mute, is un- unable to speak. So, literally, mm-hmm. it's a good good film, good album. And our beer of the week, Ethan, is Psych Psych Hops, Psycho Ops, Psycho Hops, Psycho Ops, Psycho Ops, Psych Ops, Psych Ops. That sounds like a. That sounds like a. S M S P S Y C H O P S. Psych hops from Wisconsin Brewing Company in Verona, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. which is in my neck of the woods, or where I'm from. And on the bottle, it doesn't. It. I mean, we both get the sense that this is an IPA because the IBUs on this, which stands for International Bitter Units, if you don't know, uh, the higher that number, the more bitter your beer is going to be. And this has 80, which is real high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's 8.0% alcohol by volume, so it's pretty strong, too. And they have it listed on the bottle as an intense pale ale, which I'm pretty sure they just made up. We looked it up, and it's I think it is a pale ale. Yeah, because on Beer Advocate, they have it listed as an American pale ale, although there's hardly any information on this beer, because I'm, I'm guessing it's really only available in the area. Um, I'm guessing it's not a beer that Wisconsin Brewing Company distributes very far. Oh, that's a nice sound. Yeah, that was good. But uh, yeah, I, I picked this beer uh, to fit in with our theme because if you've seen the movie uh, Hush, uh, 
the movie really is about a pretty crazy dude who's ultimately stalking this this blind not blind this deaf and mute woman um so i kind of <laughs> if she was blind that would have made the movie just impossible like yeah it would have She'd been just bad. been sitting there but, just um, flapping around and oh my god <laughs> but uh yeah so i i i, th- I figured it, it it fit because the dude is totally crazy uh who's after her and there's we can get into it but it's one of those things where you never they never take any time to say this is why this guy's doing this. He's just a crazy person. Yeah. Which is kind of scary in its we'll, own way. We'll delve right into that, but... And this beer, it, beer smells tastes. nothing, but, I mean, it's just hops. Yeah. That's all I can smell. It's like a grapefruity, citrusy hops to it. And it's got kind of a cloudy, dark, amber, copper color An to amber it. hue. Mm-hmm. Hue. Yeah. But then I think also, too, the album was pretty crazy, too. Yeah, well, that's true, too. A lot of the lyrics on it um, are pretty wacky and suggest that maybe some mental illness and disorder in one's life. So yeah, so I think we'll, it fits there, too. We'll delve into that. But, um, yeah, the definition of the word this week, which is silent. That is one of the hoppiest beers I've ever no, had. No, it's, yeah. kind of dries your mouth out a little bit. Just a tad. That's like when the, the higher the IBU, you get that occasionally. Yeah, and this like isn't a. Just, I don't think this would be a beer that would really pair with any food or anything particularly well either, because it's so bitter that it's pretty much going to wash any other flavor you have out completely. Yeah, but I mean, I like it. I like beers like this. I know a lot of people don't, but uh, this is pretty good. It comes in a four pack, so not your traditional six pack. So I'm not sure why that happens. I'm sure it has to do with how much they can make and how much the ingredients cost and all that. Got to break even. But uh, the definition of the word silent, uh, there's several. It's actually an adjective, not making or uh, accompanied by any sound uh, of a person not speaking or not expressed aloud. So it's just no sounds. (laughs) What does silence mean to you or silent? See, this is a tough one because the definition that you just read is pretty much, I mean, everybody knows what silent means, so... Mm -hmm. I guess I sat back and I tried to think, like, what can I, how can I dig into this a little bit more to make it more interesting? And the way I kind of thought more about silence is I always kind of think is there's there's silence present in the moments in between or where there isn't something. Um, I think silence can be awkward sometimes if you're meeting somebody new and you don't have anything to say or if there's an argument and then there's silence or something's going on. So I guess... That was kind of a thought I had where when there's silence, you're in between things happening or you're you're someplace where there is nothing. It's kind of the absence of something, which kind of lends itself an extra layer of creepiness, which is why I think maybe that's one of the th- the things they played with in the movie we're going to talk about, because that obviously plays a big role there, too. But how about you? Well, for me, it conjures kind of two things. Um, it's And it's kind of odd. It's power and creepy. Those are the two things that, because I think that silence is a kind of a forgotten powerful thing because you can, you can do much more in communication with silence, mm-hmm. you know, and then also too, you can take pictures on your cell phone <laughs> silently. You weren't supposed no. to say anything. <laughs> I'm supposed to get in, I'm No, but, to. and then also like power, you know, it, uh-huh. it's, I think it's, it's, it's very, very powerful, but it's, it, it, the creepy part of it is I think si- like if someone's not saying anything at all. If they're just sitting there and staring at you or sitting there and staring off into space, I think that's pretty freaking creepy. Yeah. You know, and I I think it can be really, really creepy as well. 
That's what silence is to me. For sure. Yeah, I think we both dug into it a little bit deeper than just the surface level of it because, yeah, silence is something that we experience in our day-to-day lives and it can be creepy or awkward or relaxing, I think, too. Sometimes you want to be in a silent environment or you Mm -hmm. don't feel like speaking. I know I go into um, moods driving to and from work where a lot of times I'll listen to music when I get home, um, usually before I go to bed, a lot of times in the car, but there's sometimes just randomly where I just don't want to listen to anything. I just want total silence. And my car is very, very quiet. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of just zone zone out for a little bit and... Yeah, I think that's kind of a, it's actually a, a good exercise, I think, too, because we're so used to having access to music or podcasts or whatever it is pretty easily. So try driving in silence sometime. It's mm-hmm. And I know you just said you did that, but for anybody listening, it's kind of interesting. You pay attention to your surroundings a little bit more. You think a little bit more. There's nothing distracting you. So Yeah. So that's, uh, that's si- silent. It's, I keep wanting to say silence, but the word silent. This is the silent episode. Or if we go back to our discussion about the movie Mahala Drive, the final line in the movie is silencio. 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 Por favor. No, she doesn't nope, say. She doesn't say that'd be that'd be cheesy. <laughs> but um yeah, so good stuff. Hush, Mars Volta, Francis the Mute, Psych Psych Hops. That sounds like I was going to turn to say that sounds like a superhero. Like there's someone named Psychops and Psychops, like Cyclops. Like yeah, kind of like Cyclops except he's from X-Men. Right? X-Men? Yeah, sure. I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> That's a, it's someone out there. But um, really the only high-priority news item we had that didn't correlate to a movie or music is the announcement by AMC, which is the second largest uh, theater chain. I don't think they're up here by us. Nope. Nope. But they're down in, in Madison where I was born and raised, near Verona, Wisconsin, where the beer's from. Um, they announced that there's they're no longer going to allow moviegoers to text in the theaters. Um, but really, is is texting while watching a movie truly disruptive? That's that's the question that I have. Well, we we did say before too. They're not just outright banning it, but they're having special. I believe from what I was reading off air. Yeah, we talked about this right. Off air. How they have um, they're having show showtimes that are specifically allowing texting and the idea i think is to attract younger people who are maybe more attached to their phones during a film um or who are uh, maybe for whatever reason unable to put it down for a little bit so um because yeah i mean it, i mean you before every movie it it'll say silence your cell phones and i know the theaters around us don't really enforce that but amc I guess really is going to enforce that now. But so if you want to text, you need to make sure you go to a showing that allows texting. Mm-hmm. But with your question is, is texting while watching a movie truly disruptive? I think so. <laughs> it drives me bonkers. I don't mind if somebody glances at their phone for a couple seconds real quick, because I mean, let's face it, it's 2016. Everyone's got a cell phone. It's going to happen occasionally. But I have seen it before where somebody will be on and off of their phone every couple of minutes constantly and for two three minutes at a time i think that's super annoying a little bit of light when i'm watching a movie i'm trying to absorb it and if some dude down in front of me to the right or whatever whips his phone out and he's texting or whatever it drives me nuts i know i don't like seeing that because it can be a little bit annoying but you got to expect a little bit of it so there is a little bit of tolerance i think but uh that's just me yeah and for me i mean i guess i don't i don't notice that at all, really. I mean, I, I, I can remember if the person sitting next to me was on their cell phone. 
but not in, not in front of me. I, can't, I keep thinking, and, and this is kind of slightly off topic, but for us, this is kind of normal, but there's a ton of options now. Well, not really, but just the way that movie, you, the movie-going experience has totally changed in a, a very short breadth of time where before it was just you bought a ticket, you show up in the theater, shush, boom, ba, there you go. Now you have to pick a seat. Um, you have to pick a, you know, a row and sec, not really a section, but you kind of have to figure out where to sit. And now there's these, you know, text friendly, cell phone friendly versus non. There's just a lot of options now, but I, I, the whole experience of going to a movie has, has really, really changed. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's adapting to how people are, um, to how audiences, how comfortable they want to be or what freedoms they want to have during a movie. Because, you know, at home, if you watch a movie, you can presumably text or go on your phone really whenever you want and if people are used to that and don't want to give that freedom up during a movie I guess this is an option for them but at the same time I think there's a level of selflessness you have to have when you go into the movies you need to realize that maybe it doesn't bother me but it might bother people around me and if I'm and if the theater if it says on the screen don't talk on your phone or text during you probably shouldn't do it yeah to the best of your ability uh Especially if somebody says something to you, which I've done before. I'm the kind of person where if it hasn't happened to me in a long time. I don't know if that says anything about how the audiences are, but I haven't told anybody to shut up in a movie in a long time. But I've done it before. I'm not afraid to if somebody's talking. It's usually somebody younger who probably used their parents' money to get in, so they don't really care and blah, 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 blah. But uh, none of that. Not happening. Not, not a fan of that. Not a fan. Yeah. Well, ain't it there? They're making the change. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if that'll be a trend. The only the only issue I see, I don't think this will really catch on that much, at least not quickly, um, just because I, I think that that puts a major sort of halt on going to the movies because, say, how do they stagger showtimes that allow texting and ones that don't? What if you can only make it? What if you're somebody like me who abhors people texting during a, a movie and I only have one slot of time during a day I can go, and it just so so happens to coincide with one of these show times. Then I kind of have to brings, endure it. It does. It brings up a lot of questions. But then on my in my part, I would just have to understand that okay, yeah. But and then another part of me says, well, then maybe it should be cheaper because I'm not getting the experience I want because people are going to be texting or playing games or maybe even calling people <laughs> during the movie. <laughs> That'd be kind. Of, that'd be kind of funny if it evolved into kind of like a discount option, like where oh. it's just like a party room where there's a movie <laughs> playing and there's just a bunch of people like playing on their phone and calling. What a dumb. If you're, this is like I maybe I'm turning into an old man, but like just don't go to the freaking movies. Yeah. If that's how you're gonna beat, don't go to the movies. Yeah. I, and I <laughs> personally, I, I use my phone to write notes down because sure, we, sure. we review these films. Mm-hmm. But that's that's it. I don't. I usually will turn on airplane mode and then, sure, do do notes and stuff. But I, you know, I, the concept to me, honestly, of going on your phone like every. She's trying Notepad, dude. There's enough light going on in there. Try Notepad. Get a little. It's pretty dark. I think it's pretty dark. Notepad. Get a Notepad with a glowy pen where you click it and it turns blue. Ooh. There you go. I can get like a. Light. Then it'll just be some asshole with a blue pen that lights yeah. up next to me instead well, of a cell phone. I get no, yelled see, at. you don't bother me that much with it because I know no, what. You're, well, I usually like kind of like tuck it, like you know. Well, I know what you're doing too. Like tuck it and. And you and it takes you five seconds to write something real quick, and I'm like, okay. Because I'll usually write like. But you're not pulling your cell phone out every five yeah. minutes and texting, 
people these paragraphs of like, oh yeah, I'm at the movie and this just happened because that just makes me want to break my own leg and beat myself to death with it. Yeah, <laughs> just spoiling it for everyone else. Yeah, it's a bummer. But yeah, theater experience is a change in. So, but if this does take take off, cool, because then all the people who do that can go to those showings and leave the rest of us alone. Yeah. It would be interesting to see the timing, though. I agree with you. That's an interesting interesting thought. But um, this is the silent episode. And uh, again, in the break, you will hear music from Mars Volta, Francis Mute, available on pretty much every streaming service, I would assume. Mm-hmm. I don't know any of that. I didn't see any of that. It wasn't. But... Or you can go buy a CD. Or you can buy a CD or a vinyl. I would assume. The vinyls of this vinyl. are really expensive. I don't think they press that many of them. Yeah. Well, it's I... a long, longer album. Yeah, it would be a uh, you know, a double album for sure. Yeah. So pricey, pricey. But anyhow, you'll hear that music in the break. Again, this is a silent episode. Weekly Neurosis. Uh, movie of the Week is coming up next. We'll be right back. Once again, I'm Nate. And I'm Ethan. And this is the silent episode. I'm just going to say silencio for the rest of the episode. Um, And we're going to now do our movie of the week. This week, we chose the movie Hush. Ethan, take it away. Yeah, so like we said before, this movie is available on Netflix instant streaming. So take advantage of that if this movie sounds interesting to you. But uh, yeah, this movie is about a reclusive author who went deaf as a teenager. She finds herself hunted by a deranged mask killer inside of her isolated home sending her into a dangerous game of cat and mouse in order to survive the night let's see the movie stars john gallagher jr michael trucco and kate siegel it was written and directed and edited by mike flanagan who also did the movie oculus which was a pretty high profile uh horror movie from a year or two ago and uh kate siegel also received credits for writing um and she plays i believe the main character correct yep yeah, and I think they they might be married, those two. I think that's why there was the the co-writing Right, deal. right, so. right, right, okay. Yeah, all right, so then it was produced by Trevor Macy and Jason Blum of Blumhouse Productions. Uh, they're kind of the A-game of theatrical horror right now. Music was done by the Newton Brothers, and cinematography was done by James Neist. Filming locations, uh, nothing is known about the location of, of filming for this movie which yeah. is interesting it looked to me sort of like um if i had to guess like an east coast like like maryland maybe in more in more of a wooded area or uh, uh new york rural new york yeah that would be my guess and i'm actually a big time forest nerd on just on the side big fan of the if you ever get a chance watch the seasonal forest segment of planet earth but yeah that was my guess 
Okay. Eastern seasonal forest. Yeah, that's what I thought too. All right, all right. So, and then a couple notes. Nothing was known about this film until September 2015 when it was revealed that a buyer screening had occurred at the 2015 Toronto International Film Festival, and it sounds to me then like Netflix picked it up for distribution. Yep. Which is pretty, pretty cool. So, Nate, what did you think about Hush? Well, I really like this movie. All, all things considered, I think it was it was short. It was a very short movie. It goes by very quickly, uh, action-packed. But I think they, they played things out well enough that it, it, it keeps you entertained. It keeps you tied in for the duration. Um, I thought the acting was, was pretty solid for, for a horror movie. And I really liked, and I don't know, I guess it just really appealed to me, the tie-in of technology in the kind of in the beginning parts of the, the mm-hmm. movie. I really liked that. Uh, but yeah, it was it was really really entertaining. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this too. Uh, I agree that it was kind of it was one of those things where it's it's kind of a bottle film and that there's really I think only four people you see, maybe five if you count the girl on Skype, her sister that she talks to a couple times or doesn't talk to I guess. But I think that would make wait okay. Because there's the neighbor, the neighbor's boyfriend the main character, the killer, and then her sister you see on Skype. So five people. Wait. So yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's it's a bottle movie in that there's not a whole... It's one of those things where it's like, okay, masked killer after this girl who can't hear or speak in the woods. This could either drag out or, or it can be really tense and exciting. And luckily, yeah, it was really tense and exciting. I agree. The acting was really good. She, uh, This Kate Siegel... Really carried the film. She was. I don't know if she actually is deaf. I'm. 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 I. I really don't know. She was good enough that I was convinced personally, but I don't right. know enough about, you know, people who suffer from deafness uh, to know if that was accurate or not. But she convinced me. Yeah, I, I really appreciated the pacing of the movie. I did have a couple of kind of the normal gripes I have with these sort of modern takes on slasher movies. Um, but yeah, overall, this was short, sweet. It was like almost unbearably suspenseful at times to the point where I was like very uncomfortable. <laughs> when I will say too, they they segment the suspense, which is, is kind of hard to do because you can sometimes just delay things out, especially with like a home invasion type deal. You can really draw that out. I thought they really divided it up really good where at one point you're worrying, you're trying, you're kind of worried about her like, getting out and then another thing you worried about her doing something else and they move on to something else and it was very that's what I, I think kind of aided in its entertainment was the fact that it could kind of shift you know from scene to scene to scene right it was always bringing something new to the table that kept it exciting you know you're introduced to the character and her neighbors and you get the sense that okay this stuff will all probably come together they introduce the killer in a way I wasn't really expecting, that was a lot more kind of jarring and shocking yep. Yep. <laughs> than I was expecting. And there's a, a, a reveal real early in the movie with the killer that I wasn't expecting with something he does where he sort when he reveals himself. I was not really expecting that. When you see the movie, you'll know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you're trying to kind of go back and forth on what's going to happen here, is she going to do this? Is she going to do that? For the most part, yeah, it really did a good job of doing that, of, of really keeping you involved in this. And I think too something we haven't really discussed is this could this was a very realistic film like this could this could happen right you know the personalities are real the story's real the the killer's real the the main characters I mean this is all it all feels very very real which I think there's a lot of reaction on Twitter that you read Stephen King of course hyped this movie saying like oh it's right and I think that's the reason why is because it feels 
Like, this could happen in real life. This could play out in real life. Um, and I think that kind of helped its cause. Yeah, and, you know, for the, mo- the most part, I do agree. But some of the negatives I have with that sort of go against that sense of realism because I'm trying to think of uh, a, a movie that we we talked we reviewed recently. It was 10 Cloverfield Lane where I was really surprised in that film with the main character, uh, who is obviously a woman as well, who that was unusual for a main character to be very smart and to always be one step ahead of me as the audience member, which usually in a horror movie, the main character is doing all this dumb crap. And while I think this movie was sort of like that and that for the most part, this main character is very intelligent and is doing her best to survive. I do think there were some sort of cliche horror moments where she made some clearly stupid decisions that were made there to add suspense. And it didn't really bother me, but it did sort of, make me step back and go like, wait a minute. And there was the biggest negative I had with this movie was there's a big, there's sort of a cop-out thing that happens near the end of this movie where I thought the movie was going to end very abruptly because of something that happened. And I, my jaw was like on the floor, but then it sort of backpedals and I kind of felt cheated by that. And the the movie kind of goes, there's a big part in this movie where she's a writer, right? The main character is a writer. So she communicates a lot about how, she does her writing process, but she always has trouble coming up with an ending. So you see her playing these scenarios out in her head on how she can do this. And all that stuff kind of came in near the end. And I get that it was a sort of final push towards the climax, but some of it felt a little bit, I don't know, sort of cheap to me. And I kind of felt a little bit by the end, I knew exactly what was going to happen, but it wasn't a big deal because I was still very happy with the outcome of this movie. I was along for the ride the entire way. And by the end, I was totally happy. I watched it. Yeah. And I, you know, the ending I thought was, was fairly predictable. Not going to give anything away. Can't really delve too deeply into that, but I agree with you on that. I think my biggest issue is, is kind of with the antagonist, the, the killer. I, to me, the reveal worked very negatively towards the film you know, in How, terms of... I, I think I'm with you in that it was sooner than I thought. And I thought that it they totally lost out on making... If they, would have, if they wouldn't have done it when they did, I thought, you know, or maybe he didn't even do it at all. I thought that it would have made this film not just like a, a film where I was like, wow, that was pretty good, where I would have been like, wow, you know? Sure. It's hard to talk about, though, without spoiling it. And it's and, really tough. But I think that the antagonist, I think that they just... they. Totally threw it away. I, I like what they did. I just think they did it maybe too soon. To at, well, at first, I was like, this is great. But then when I realized there was still an hour left for the movie, I was like, oh, okay. So, I mean, are they going to go into who this guy is or blah, blah, blah? And it really doesn't. And I don't think that's really a spoiler because that's not really what this movie is about. But, uh, yeah, that didn't bother me as much as, again, that there's a big fake out thing near the end where I was just like, What? Mm-hmm. Did that really just happen? But then it's like, no, it didn't. Never mind. And I was like, what? Yeah. Come on. And you kind of get, yeah, like you said, cheated. That's uh, kind of, I gotta get that. Yeah. And and from that point on, the rest of the movie, while I was still like, all right, I was rooting for the main character and uh, all that, I was kind of like, all right, I kind of see how this is going to play out. But it wasn't a big deal because I still liked it. And by the time that happened, it was real close to being over, like five, 10 minutes maybe. Yeah. And once again, this is a, a short, short movie. I think it's 80 minutes in total. Yeah. So it's, it it moves just by like that. Sure. Another thing I really thought was fun in this movie that they they almost could have done more of was how they played with sound in this movie with mm-hmm. how, yeah, the main character is deaf. And every now and then 
the movie will sort of shift into her, not point of view in that you're seeing out of her eyes, but her point of view in that she can't hear anything, but she can feel like the vibrations, right? So if she's standing on a wood floor and somebody's running behind her, she'll be able to feel that. They kind of play with that in some interesting moments. And I thought that was really cool. They almost, I almost would have, I would almost be interested to see an entire movie done that way. Cause this wasn't, but still it was, I mean, that was really interesting cause that's a tough sell because it's hard to, you know, if you don't know sign language, you're going to have to use heavy use of, you know, subtitles, which they had to do anyway. Yeah. Uh, when she was using, uh, you know, American sign language and all that. But I really liked that element in the movie. And it was, it, it takes a, a concept, which is lady trapped in a house with a psycho after that's been done a thousand times before and adds an element to it that I've never seen. And for the most part worked really well. Yeah. And I think my biggest positive was that and, and how smart it was. Cause they, they play with a lot of different things. You know, I mentioned technology and then also, you know, you talked about the whole silence thing and then, there's just a lot of different elements that they, they didn't just do. They kind of like took it a level deeper, two levels deeper, and kind of expanded on it. But mm-hmm. what would you rate this film, 1 to 10? Um, I'm going to give it a solid 8 out of 10. I thought, again, it was a kind of a fun slasher thriller type horror movie. Great acting, really well paced. It was short. Uh, but yeah, it did have a couple of things where I kind of raised my eyebrows, but definitely worth a watch. Yeah. How, how about you? I gave it a 7.5. Okay. Um, I thought it was, again, really, really solid film. I just thought they could have done more with the killer. That, that was my biggest knock on the film. And again, same thing as you kind of feel cheated towards the end. But I, I agree with you. This is just a good good movie to watch. And it's not something that's going to occupy two hours. You can literally just sit down, plop, and there yeah. you go. And I think I had mentioned, too, that I just felt that this movie was almost unbearably suspenseful, where there was a couple of times where I was tempted to pause the movie and kind of take a deep breath because... She's creeping around this house, and she can't hear anything. And you see the guy in a window behind her, and you know she has no idea he's there. And it's just real, real some stuff like that. I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. And they, they really intertwine some pretty creepy, like, stuff, too. Mm-hmm. That and the movie. It'll, it'll play with you. And it was surprisingly, like, graphic, I thought. Like, it was surprisingly stabby and bloody. And there was a, a, a hand-crushing scene that made me cringe quite mm-hmm. quite a bit. Uh, and as a horror fan, I, you know, I appreciate a movie that doesn't hold back when it comes to that kind of thing. So, yeah, this was a solid movie. It was a nice kind of surprise, which I had heard about like a week before we decided to watch it. Because some people, it was getting such great reviews and people were talking about it. I was like, well, we got to we gotta see this movie because it sounds really cool. Yeah. And, it, I mean, again, I think there's a lot of people that could, even if you're not a, a major horror fan, I don't think it was like that far out that you wouldn't be able to watch it and be like, wow, that was, that was fun. Yeah. It's, I mean, in a lot of ways it's, it's more of a thriller than a horror movie. Really. It's a very suspenseful survival movie about this woman who is a handicap and she uses her talents to try to survive. Mm-hmm. And once again, we, we run back to the survival theme on our uh, best of 2015. That's right. Survival was the big thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of movies about survival. A lot of Same TV with, shows about survival. Even this year, 10 Cloverfield Lane, it was all survival. about survival. Yeah. Batman versus Superman? No, not really. <laughs> yeah. Some people. Amy, Amy Adams is curious. I survived watching it. Yeah. Good one, Ethan. <laughs> Good start, Ethan. <laughs> That's cool, but and then our high priority news items. Uh, obviously, Deadpool broke and cracked all the records for an R-rated film. 
but there's a now direct to video, if I understand correctly, animated feature, uh, Batman The Killing Joke uh, by Warner Brothers. They intentionally made it an R-rated film, accepted that it was an R-rated film, um, and now it's uh, going to be... Well, the trailer just got released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, they're making a big deal out of this um, because yeah, it's unusual to have an R-rated, especially Batman, who, at least in his animated form, is definitely seen as a PG, PG-13 type character. And this is of note, too, that Mark Hamill, who, of course, plays Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, he... Uh, he famously has done the voice for the Joker many times for, I believe, some video games and old animated series. He decided to return as the voice of the Joker for this film because when he originally, a couple years ago, did his last voices for the Joker for a video game, he said he wasn't going to do it anymore. But he kind of jokingly told the studio or somebody that he would only come back if they did the Killing Joke story because it apparently is his favorite Batman story. So he stayed true to his word, and he's back to be the Joker once again. So I'm excited to check that out. That'll be interesting. Why is it rated R? Yeah. Blood, I'm guessing, violence? It's got to be violent. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if R-rated superhero movies, if that's kind of going to be the path of the future. Oh, yeah, with Deadpool's thing. But, you know, and I, I, I... I think that it's kind of unfair because there's been plenty of R-rated comic book movies in the past. Blade, Watchmen, 300 was a comic book movie. I don't think it's really that new. I think Deadpool was by far the most successful of them. But uh, maybe. I think because they're now saying they're re-releasing Batman v Superman as an R-rated cut. Um, so, I mean, that's some instant influence on that R-rating right there. But uh, I don't... I don't think you'll ever see, you know, a, a Marvel movie set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, get an R rating. I don't think so. I mean, I guess if you watch Daredevil on Netflix, that's pretty R rated stuff. Same with Jessica Jones. But uh, I mean, in technically, yeah, Deadpool is Marvel. It's a Marvel property, but it's not. It's confusing because it's, I believe, Sony or Fox owns the rights. Yeah. To it, but Disney owns the rights to the other Marvel characters. So while it is. Marvel, it, it doesn't fit in with, like, Thor or Captain America or any of those dudes, not any of the Avengers. But uh, I don't know. I don't think it'll necessarily become a new thing because, I mean, even... I mean, it, yeah, Deadpool might be the number one R-rated comic book movie or our number one R-rated movie of all time, but is it the number one all-time box office comic book movie? No, the Avengers is, and that's PG-13. I don't think that'll change any. Yeah, and... I- and just, I mean, they created the rating system for a reason, you know, in terms of acceptability, but I don't see it changing anytime soon either. It's just interesting. Well, it's not, It's nice that at least the door is open now, right? Because I can't imagine Deadpool being rated anything less than R because half of what made that movie so funny was that it didn't have any barriers up. It could be in your face, bloodies. It could be super obscene and sexual and all this stuff without... Pull, pumping the brakes at all and it's nice knowing that for in the future there's tons of comic book stories that could be adapted into film that are better served under an r rating so now that option is more wide open seeing that it worked for a character who wasn't really well known in the mainstream and now people know who he is because of this movie yeah and the other one we had was the and we've we've chat we've talked about a lot of these the video on demand the vod companies uh, getting launched. There was just another one that got uh, launched 
um, which is actually a, a merger between, or not a merger, but kind of a joint venture between Criterion and Turner Broadcasting mm-hmm. um, for a uh, VOD service. Uh, it's going to be the exclusive, um, I believe you said, Criterion option that's out there. Right. It's called the Filmstruck. I don't, I, I don't think it comes out until later this year, but they announced it. And yeah, uh, it's going to be, if you're into the Criterion Collection, which we've talked about in the past, which is a distribution company that specializes in movies they deem quote-unquote important, which is whatever, neither here nor there. It's definitely a unique collection of films. Um, this is kind of big news because Criterion was partnered up with Hulu, uh, and, and this seems to signal the end of that partnership. So if you, like me, have Hulu Plus just to have access to Criterion, well, it's gone. It's gonna be. It's still there now, and I I believe it will be there until this the this film struck deal goes. But the, my, I guess my main concern with this is I I do plan on subscribing to this, especially hopefully if it's not too expensive as well. But uh, do you think they'll have like an app for the PlayStation or smart TVs or stuff? I don't think they will. I mean, I mean that's really really expensive to do that. I think I I, I don't think they have an option. I'll be honest. In order to, if they want to compete with these other, you know, video, I think I think I would assume they would. I don't think something. Yeah, but I don't think that them making this move is them trying to compete because it's an it's such it's a, a niche. niche yeah, which is why I, I'm also afraid that it's going to be real expensive. Well, and then my answer may be then if it is a niche, they would be the first. And I may be speaking incorrectly, but they might be the first niche VOD service to actually have that full blown app. And the thing is, is oh, that maybe. being partnered with Turner Broadcasting does open that—that's big money. You know that Pandora's box in terms of what you can do. Right. And they may be saying, you know, from from a um, a Turner Turner uh, standpoint, that you know they're going to have the money to to do that type of venture. Right, and because there are other niche services like this out there like shutter which is primarily horror but there's no app available for that you need a browser you need to play it through your browser you need to hook your computer up to your big tv or have some sort of system that does that in order to watch it on a big tv well and then at least from what i understand i think they'd they'd almost have to because most criterion subscribers and people that are obsessed with that like you are you don't want to watch a criterion release on your computer you want to see it on your giant television that's a good point because half of their the point especially of their in the last couple years is pushing their blu-rays where they're doing remasters that the technology wasn't even available five years ago and sure you give everybody 800 movies you can stream but they're all crappy quality and you need this and you needed that to get it to work or you have to watch it on your 13 inch computer monitor yeah, that, definitely. I'm not going to watch some of these classic films on my 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 laptop. I want to see it on the biggest screen possible because they're films and they're they're movies are meant to be seen on the biggest screen you have access to. So that's a good point to make. Yeah, I, I think that that it's inevitable. I think that's probably what they will do. Well, that would, that would be awesome because especially and another thing that solidifies them hopefully getting a, an app for this is um, the fact that right now. It is available on Hulu Plus, which there's apps for everything. Any phone you have, anything you have, there's an app for Hulu Plus. And for them to take their product away from that service and then make it harder to watch on a TV, that's a bad business move. And just just thinking of, of this the stream of it, and my guess is that Hulu Plus 
was a good alternative for them. I'm guessing Turner threw a lot more money at them and ultimately said, well, we'll offer you the same, you know, consumption medium, uh, you know, for what, sure. what you need to do. It'll, it'll probably be TV-based, which is awesome. I'd be super happy with that. But I think the big question is how much will it cost? Because I think anything, man, anything... Because Netflix is like six, what, 16 bucks? It's 10 if you just want. Well, it's different because I joined way back in like 2008 and I was grandfathered in and mine just went up to 9.99. But for people who joined later, it's way more than that. Because I I was only paying 7.99 a month for years for instant only. I don't get discs at all. I only do the instant streaming. And I know I I got grandfathered in, but I think they chipped me on the 4K upcharge. So it's like Mm, an extra four bucks. I think it all was because I called I, them on it. Huh. They were like, "Well, even still." Even because still on my it. on when I look through it on my stuff, it says 4K available. It gives you that option. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> no, it's weird. It, the, the whole thing is is screwy. And well, maybe too you might be paying for because we do the the baseline one where it gives you access to two different accounts at once. So basically me and one other person in two different locations can be accessing my account at one time. I know you can get like a step up where you can have up to four people accessing it at the same time because otherwise if there's two people, in my case, if there's two people watching Netflix, if a third person logs in to try, I won't let them. So maybe you're paying for for that. I don't know. I'm speaking for you. I'm telling you what's going on. Multitudes of users. <laughs> Who out there is using I know my Netflix? Netflix used to have 3D content, but they got rid of it all. Because when I got my 3D TV for a couple of months, there was all this. It looked awful, though. Like, the streaming for it was horrendous. Um, so they, they bailed on that pretty quick. Yeah. 4K content's pretty cool. I like the naturescapes. Uh, I occasionally watch that. Well, now 4K Blu-rays are coming out. Yeah. And I mean, they have a whole, at Best Buy, they have a whole big section uh, for just 4K. But of course, you need the certain player. And of course, you need a 4K TV and all that. Yeah. Wave of the future. Hashtag movies. Hashtag. (laughs) But onto our weekly segment by the numbers where we go over the top five grossing movies in American cinema and the occasional flops that do occur. So I'll start it off. Um, number five this week was The Boss, which uh, grossed a total of $6.2 million. This is its third week um, in distribution. It's netted a total of $49.6 million. Boom. Boom. It's Ke- isn't that Kevin G- James? The Boss? No, that's Melissa, Mac- that... Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy. Sorry, I'm still not used to the microphone thing. You got to bop it in. Sorry, buddy. All right, so then uh, number four then is Zootopia, which made just a hair more than the boss at six point five million, bringing its total domestic gross to three hundred and sixteen million, which is a, uh, a a massive amount of of money. Uh, big success. I blame I blame the furries and <laughs> <laughs> and fur bees. No, Ugh. but what eight weeks and that's eight weeks in the top five i'm telling you man those kid movies stick around forever children because there's only they only release one of them at a time (sighs) eight weeks that's insane i don't think even well i think star wars was about that oh god that was longer than that yeah they're still in like the top they're still yeah this movie made literally a one-third of how much star wars made domestically star wars in just the u.s made over 900 million jump ass children hashtag (laughs) <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> number three was the, the barbershop the next cut 
which uh, netted a total of $10.5 million in its uh, second week, bringing its total of $35.7 million. Cool. Isn't that like the third one of those, right, Barbershop? Because it's yeah. been like a decade since the last one came out. There's been a lot of them. Yeah, I've never seen any of those. I've never seen them. So number two is the Huntsman Winter's War, which made $19.4 million on its first weekend uh, on a big old budget of $115 million. So this right here is a big old flop. Yeah. And I don't know if it's done internationally, but not good. Clearly, this is this is a problem. This, uh, this is a movie that I'm surprised even exists. I remember when I saw the trailer, I was like, "Really?" Because I remember when Snow White and the Huntsman came out. I think that was a modest success. I never saw it. I didn't hear great things about it. And I mean, Kristen Stewart isn't even in this one. She, I mean, she was Snow White in the first one, and obviously, this this is just called The Huntsman, Winter's War. So it's kind of a spinoff sequel type thing. Mm. But uh, not a lot of people were interested, apparently. Didn't do very well. Yeah. So definite, I'd say that's a definite flop alert. Oh, big time. And number one, The Jungle Book, in parentheses, 2016. There's been a couple of them. Uh, it grossed a total of $61.5 million. Uh, this is its second week in, in distribution, and it's grossed a total of $192 million on an even bigger budget of $175 million. Yeah, and this, I mean, apparently this movie is really good. It's getting, like, rave reviews, and it's clearly very popular. And I think this is why we're seeing Zootopia probably fall out, because the Jungle Book, you know, can attract a younger audience. And uh, I want to see it. I I like the Jungle Book. I saw the original animated one when I was a kid. I had one on VHS that was a live-action type deal, and I liked that. The main main character, isn't it Mobley? Isn't that his name? Yeah, Mowgli. Yeah, Mowgli. Yeah. yeah, I know With that. a G. The G. Mowgli. But no, it's and John Favreau did a wonderful job. He's like the. I mean, he did Iron Man one and two. He did Chef Swingers back in the day. Yeah, remember Swingers? Right, way back. Yeah. That's kicking it old school. But yeah, good movie. Check it out. Well, um, did you see it? No. Oh. I haven't, but I I've, heard, I've heard amazing, amazing things, and I, it'll be in my watch list. Yeah, I want to see it in theaters, because I've heard, I've heard that the CGI in this movie is so good that it's really one of the first movies where you literally can't tell what CGI and what isn't. That's what a lot of people have said, that there's some scenes that the CGI is so good you can't tell, which is pretty cool. And Yeah, and they're heavily reliant on it. Well, yeah, the whole movie I was reading was filmed in a set in California. And apparently you can't tell at all because it's the, it's the jungle book, right? Like you're in a jungle, but they didn't film any of it in a jungle, which is, I mean, that really just shows you how much they can do with effects in a, in a big budget these days. Crazy, crazy stuff. But um, that is our movie of the week section and by the numbers. Um, coming up next, we're going to do our album of the week, Mars Volta, Francis the Mute. And um, yeah, you'll be hearing music from that album in the break. If it's something else, we're sorry. We no. messed up. No, it'll be that. It'll be that. I sound check these things. All right, we'll be we'll be right back. Weekly neurosis.
do it. All right, welcome back into Weekly Neurosis. We're now to our section, Album of the Week. And this week we have Mars Volta, Frances the Mute. Francis. Francis the Mute. Uh, but this, uh, the background on this is the second studio album by the American progressive rock group Mars Volta. Um, Omar Rodriguez Lopez began writing the content for Francis the Mute prior to the release of their first studio album for this album. So it's uh, pretty crazy. Um, songs from this album are largely based off songs um, that they played in concert first. Um, this album was produced by that same person, the guitarist uh, Omar Rodriguez Lopez. No data on where they recorded this. Ethan, what did you think of this album? Okay, well, you know, to kind of preface a little bit. There's I, background. Yeah, I, I mean, I picked this album because, I mean, A, it's Francis the Mute, and I kind of thought that fit with our silence theme. And this is kind of an album that in the music world has become a little infamous. If you just Google Mars Volta, Francis the Mute, you, I mean, the, the cover art is kind of noticeable. It's a, it's kind of real creepy, a guy sitting in a car with a red velvet bag over his head. But uh, kind of, I mean, this is an older album. It came out in, like, what is it, 2005? Yep. something yeah 2005 so i mean it's already over a decade old and this is an album that i kind of have a little bit of history with because i there was a time where i was when i was younger i was exploring newer genres of music i was getting into more progressive rock stuff like that and, the, and this was an album that a lot of people were talking about at the time when i was you know 15 or 16 right about when this came out and uh i went and bought the cd and i mean i I really, I mean, it's an album you can kind of go down the rabbit hole with, right? Because there's so many genres, so many styles going on in it. It's really something that flows from beginning to end. There's spacier moments. There's orchestration on it. There's just insane guitar solos and drumming and jazz influences and these high-pitched vocals that are in English and Spanish. And it's just this, just this ridiculous pile of music that it kind of blew my mind when I was younger. And this was an album that sort of expanded my mind a little bit in terms of the type of music I listen to and it sort of opened the door to newer stuff so I, I, I haven't listened to it in a while and so listening to it again was really fun because while I still really think this is a, a you know a really interesting just an insanely complex and, and almost incoherent album especially if you just try to pick a piece out of it here or there um, while I really like it I don't think it quite stands up as much as when I first heard it because I almost think it's maybe too long in parts or they spend a little bit too much time from getting to point A to point B where you can really tell they were experimenting with things and whether or not that always translates to something coherent maybe isn't always the case, but regardless, this is an insane like prog rock album. Progressive rock, just some of the most talented musicians on the planet playing just amazingly complex music with lyrics that are almost impossible to figure out exactly what they're talking about, and it's a real head trip of an album. Yeah, and I would agree with that. This is the first time I've heard this, and it, it is it is way out there for me. And, I, I mean, I hope it expands me, like it expanded, you know, your your listening preference. But just the, the sheer number of genres that they cross in this album is just mind-boggling. Like, and on top of that, the musical skill that they, you know, push onto you uh, through this album is insane. But yeah, I think, I, I, to me, this is the book definition of a prog rock album in terms of, you know, they hit, they within a single song, and there are, we should say, 26, 30-minute songs on this album. 
So it's 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 a long album. Well, it's not 26 30 minute long songs on it. Well, but it's there's there's like it's progression, but it's one song yeah, going all, on. Exactly. That's what I meant by that. It's like 26 songs that go over the course of like 75 or 80 minutes or something and it's impossible to tell where one ends and one begins. Yeah. And yeah, in terms of prog rock, this is like the the edge of prog in, in the more indulgent prog rock is if you look in progressive rock history with an album like Tales of Topographic Oceans by Yes, which is seen as a very, very indulgent album. And I don't use the word indulgent negatively, despite the kind of negative sound it has. Um, this is a band who, especially with their as their second studio album, this is a band that's really doing everything they can to do things differently. And whether or not that translates to something listenable is really going to be up to each individual. And for me, I mean, there's no way to listen to this unless you're sitting down and listening to it front to back. I mean, there's no way to skip. If you were to put, a, if you had this on a CD and you popped it in and skipped to track like 13, it would just start with no context because they had to pick places to cut this piece up. And there are very clear movements on the album where, of course, there's it goes from one thing to another um, and it kind of ends in this ridiculous kind of a suite of everything they had covered on the album and it actually kind of comes full circle with how they they end the record but uh i guess i'm i'm kind of losing my train of thought here which is only appropriate for this album but uh 100% there's just so there's just so much going on in it that i i mean for me personally i can really get lost in it even though i think now when i listen to it there are a couple i guess if you if you talk about individual songs on here there are some that i like more than others like um you know, The Widow and El, I think it's Elvia La Via Quez mm-hmm. are sort of the only two songs where you can pick out a portion and they would be radio friendly. And they're really nice melodies, uh, insane like guitar work and guitar solos on here that is just blistering, fast, accurate guitar playing, which is really uh, amazing. And the final suite is called Cassandra Gemini. And that's again kind of where it culminates in everything the album had been building up to. But I think the one, the only, the, the, the most negative part of this album for me is the the quote-unquote song Miranda that ghost just isn't holy anymore which is kind of an odd it's 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 like you're sitting the only way I can describe it is you're sitting in a jungle and you can hear like crickets going and it kind of sounds windy but then these trumpets come in and these uh, these echoey sounds and then the vocals come in and it just goes on for way too long yeah it just goes on for way too long or even the first 10 or so minutes of the album it really takes off for like five minutes and then there's like a four minute section of like this salsa tango guitar playing and it just goes on forever and it's like okay we get it and then they put these sound effects in with these car like you're walking down the street and there's cars going and there's people talking it gets real weird yeah (laughs) it's it's a mind trip the whole i think and then in in reading about the album and I, you like I said I don't usually read reviews but I, I kind of read how like interviews with the artists they had been thinking about this album even when they were recording their debut album so I think they put a lot of thought into well, how are we going to lay out this what they in their mind I feel like this is their in their mind masterpiece sure you know it's kind of yeah. there as artists this is what they put out there to the world. Uh, but yeah, just all over the place. Yeah, like my favorite song, if you want to call it a song, was The Widow as well. Sure, yeah, and that's very much so the most traditional type song on here. Again, it's very easy to pick out and at least pick a chunk of it and be like, here's a song. 
and it's great. It's a great melody. It's kind of a it's kind of a sad ballad. It's called The Widow. It's a little bit easier to understand lyrically too because some of the stuff like I think later I don't remember if it's near the end of the album or near the beginning, but there's like a, he's like reading these crazy like poems and stuff, and they put this really wacky sound effects that sounds like he's yeah like drowning in electricity, and he's saying all this crazy stuff. And I mean, it's really it's a really challenging a really challenging record. And if you've listened to more of the Mars Volta album, they've really they never got as crazy as this. Granted, yeah. they still had epic long songs like this, but this was really their the only one that they did so blatantly front to back, where they were just like, we're not gonna pump the brakes at any second during this thing we are all out and i think for a lot of people yeah they're gonna listen to this and barely be able to get through it because it's gonna be it's just gonna feel so long and a lot of thing you're gonna read is pretentious or self-indulgent where somebody's like why do i want to listen to this long thing but i think if you're appreciative of music and, and you know jazz and stuff like that you're really going to be blown away by the technical abilities of these guys and that alone for me, carries this thing. Hearing what they're going to do next, how are they going to put it all together? Well, and I mean, the lead guitarist um, Omar, as we'll call him, he, he, I mean, he produced the album, you know. And mm-hmm. I think they're uh, Mars Volta, as I know them, are very, very skilled artists. So, yeah. But this, like, just this, I, this album, another one. This is another one we've done that just isn't for everybody necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think this is. I read one review that said, like, well, just you know, lay back and, and, you know, drink three glasses of whiskey and listen to this album. And it was just, that's kind of this. It's very heady, very kind of just out there, but it, I thought it still tied itself together for the and most I, part. And I think it would be a fun exercise if you're not overly familiar with it to listen to the full album with a good pair of headphones and read the lyrics along. I mean, it's crazy. And, and we had talked a little bit uh, when we weren't recording before about... Um, some of the lyrical um, in, uh, influence on this album was the the one guy found a, a diary in the back of a car he was repossessing. This is a crazy story. Yeah. You can read about it on Wikipedia and a couple other places, how the, the, the one guy who was, the, it says, an audio artist for the Mars Volta, he found a, a diary in the back of this car he was repossessing that had all these crazy anecdotes and stories, and he started realizing there was all these parallels with his own life. And they took all these characters and names out of this diary, and that's how they got the names of this album and a lot of the lyrical themes. And I think it, you know, and it's funny we picked this beer, Psychops, the whole psycho theme, which obviously relates to the movie Hush, where we were both saying that the lyrics in this are sort of like the ravings of a, of a mad person, of a, of a crazy person who isn't necessary. And even the way the album flows, I think, lends itself to that, how yeah. it's just sort of rambly, and it's saying a whole lot without taking a breath. And then it's just over, and you're like, "What? What is that?" And you're either going to throw it in the trash or be like, "I need to hear this again." I like. And this. even you know, even with um, like people that are psychotic, they oftentimes do have very central times where they'll like have a have a central thought for a period of time. But then it's back to that, you know, madness where it's the roll of the dice, and that's kind of how this album is. There's these very centric pieces that you can kind of grasp onto but at the same time there's this myriad of the other however many minutes that are just like all out there and you know just kind of guessing at, at what they're kind of getting at yeah absolutely so onto the rating system what would you rate this 
Well, again, you know, this is an album I have some history with, and I, I've listened to it, you know, however many times. So, you know, everything I said, I, I stick with. Uh, it's a long, epic, experimental, insane rock album with some of the most talented playing, and you're either going to be into it or you're going to find it so pointless and hard to listen to that it's just trash. But for me, I like it. I don't like it as much as I did when I first heard it because I think it does definitely drag out a bit in parts, but I give it an 8.5 out of 10. Okay. And yeah, I give it a seven even. Okay. I think it is. And I'm on, I'm on the same boat as you for the most part. I think they are very, very skilled artists. And I think that's what kind of came through for me, but I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing with you. I think that it's, it, if you're not into this type of music, you're just going to absolutely hate this. Maybe because, but I, cause I wasn't into this stuff before I heard this. And I think there are maybe some people who are maybe more interested in stuff that isn't just the top 40 music, which there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're looking for things a little bit outside of the box, this might be the kind of album that it's such a big gulp that, I mean, you can't help but go go back for more. It's just such a huge album that it could, it'll just shatter your conceptions of what rock and roll music is or what it can do because it really pushes the boundaries. It does. And I think that was their intent the whole yeah. time was mm-hmm. to do that, so... I mean, I liked this album so much when I was in college, I had a big Francis the Mute poster in my dorm room that I had right over my bed, Whoa. like on the wall behind my bed. Yeah, I was into it, man. <laughs> That's it. I mean, and the thing is, is for, for people like us, I feel like posters are currency in a way, you know? Sure. It's like the thing you put up on your wall. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so that was it. Wow. That's impressive. But um, on to our music news of the week. Uh, obviously, the biggest news is an R.I.P., which is a sad one. Um, R.I.P. Prince, a.k.a. Prince Rogers Nelson. Uh, he passed away on August, or sorry, August, April 21st, 2016, at age 57, at his home in Paisley Park in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I think we, we talked off air. He was a major, 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 major influencer huge rock star in the you know main understanding of that concept right and you know earlier this year obviously david bowie had died and we had both mentioned that david bowie or prince you could go you know with fans in either camp and go back and forth on who is more influential who is better but you will never solve it because these are both prince and david bowie were artists who are in the top tier of the top tier they i mean you don't get any more famous or influential than that and to lose two dudes like that in the span of like four or five months is insanity. And, and this came out of nowhere. He was, yeah, he was only 57. Um, they, they haven't really come out clean with what happened to him or, or if there was any health issues or anything. So I'm sure we'll all hear more about it. But yeah, but th- this was a huge loss to the, to the music industry. The dude could have had another 20 years of music in front of him. He already had 39 albums out. Yeah. 39. Um, yeah, just out, out of nowhere. It's a huge bummer. And, yeah, I, what can you say? Yeah. It's really sad. <laughs> well, and yeah, it's just a huge. I mean, and and if you look throughout history, a lot of these music artists that do, um, kind of reach their their peak in terms of fame, it, it they crash out. You know, and it's there's been some rumors about drugs, and you know, unfortunately, I just hope it's none of that because you just see, I just it's sad to see another star of his caliber just you know crash down to earth. Well, yeah, and you, you think somebody like Prince, who, he again, he has 39 studio albums, and 
um, he's been active ever since, I mean, as a professional musician since like 1977 or something. So that's like what an album a year just about. And, uh, I mean, it's crazy to think about to have that much drive and to be able to write that much music consistently. You almost think that, well, I mean, that, that lifestyle goes hand in hands with, with drug use. And of course I'm not accusing him of anything. It is what it is, but, uh, you know, I'm sure he's had some of that in his past. At least David Bowie had plenty of that, and so do, so does pretty much any other uh, major rock and roll musician, living or deceased. And uh, I don't think Prince was an exception. That dude, a, a lot of times, people who live this lifestyle are burning the candle at both ends. And you know, he lived he lived more in his 57 years than some people probably have who've lived to be in their hundreds. Yeah, agreed. And. and- you know, I'm sure there's going to be tons of rumors that come out, but at the end of the day, the guy wrote a lot of music, and on top of that, a lot of good music. Great music. And Pop, funk, R&B, soul. I mean, he had some disco stuff earlier. I mean, he really, he, he made Minneapolis sort of the center of the music world in the 80s where he was doing, I mean, when he really peaked with like Purple Rain, uh, which was really the first album that made him a massive, massive star, and he had a string of really big hits then. He was he made a name for himself instantly, and and we were saying before the movie Purple Rain, it's been re released this last week in theaters. I'm actually going to see it tomorrow night in yeah, theaters. Yeah, you said which is nationwide exciting. release, mm-hmm. so that's cool. Yeah, that's great, and it just shows you how much people care. And really, a re- really cool story uh, kind of ties into this as the the whole concept of where he lived and ultimately died at Paisley Park, as it's called, in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about it until he passed away, but I I read a number of um, blog stories and take those at their worth. But he would host concerts there with, like, the... Not necessarily, like, the hottest artists at the moment in time, but a lot of just unique acts. I read a... a, uh, It was an expose about a woman who went to see FKA Twigs at, at... perform there with Prince and they did this collaboration thing and it was insane, but really just, just a unique guy. And, you know, like you said, he lived a lot more in his 57 years. Than I think most people do in their lifetimes. So. And, and he kind of had an, an interesting legacy too. how he didn't, I mean, none of his music is available on streaming sites, except for his newest album. I think the last one where he released, which was just in the last couple of months uh, before he passed away, excuse me. But, um, he he was sort of notorious for being very weary of the internet and sharing music th- that way. I believe he may have been partnered up with Tidal, which we'll talk about shortly here. Um, but it's rumored that, well, first of all, it's believed that he didn't leave a will, which is insane for somebody with that much wealth. And it makes you question what the, why there wasn't a will. And, but apparently, and this is just a rumor that apparently there's over like 2000 unreleased songs he had r- recorded in his vault and nobody knows what to do with it well he owned paisley park itself is a was originally a a broadcast studio and he made it into a home slash recording studio and and video production center so i mean he recorded from a certain point in his career up until his death he recorded like everything there except for some i was reading except for a couple exceptions here and there and obviously live stuff Pretty much every studio album of his was recorded right there. And apparently it was just kind of his own little studio. And he would just stay up for days writing and recording. And he just never stopped. He was just he would just never stop. And of course, Crazy. He, he was a proficient guitar player. I mean, he was an amazing guitarist, which was, you know, a big part of his music, especially earlier uh, in his career. 
But yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Prince. We'll miss you. But um, the other high priority news item we had, and as you mentioned, is the title issue, which title is a streaming service, much like Apple Music. Um, and they're now claiming that Kanye West's album, The Life of Pablo, was exclusively permanent. And now they're going to sue him because it's on Apple Music. Right, because they were saying, I mean, at least Kanye West was saying on Twitter, yeah, I'll never release this album anywhere but title, but that turned out not to be true. So someone's trying to sue him. I mean, I doubt it'll really get anywhere because it's Twitter and all this crap. I don't know if they ever made that claim anywhere else, but I mean, my, I mean I'm very cautious this whole thing I, I we, we've talked how much about the life of Pablo and Kanye West in general and all this to me just smells like a publicity stunt and then tied this also ties into the whole Beyonce issue with Lemonade which again now that ties into title because it's it's kind of kind of same story different day sure an album that you can only hear well you can either pay 20 bucks on iTunes or you can subscribe to title to hear it and uh, to me, and, and I don't know how much truth there is to this, but to me, it just seems like come sign up for title because we'll, we'll say that this is exclusive, but it really won't be in three months. I, I bet you this album by Beyonce will be available on Spotify. And well, maybe not that because I know she's married to, to Jay-Z, but now in, in conjunction with that, with Lemonade, and I haven't heard the album, so I can't comment on the quality of it. I'm, I've heard it's great and I'm very much looking forward to hearing it, but uh there's all the controversy with that the album is all about how Jay-Z cheated on her, blah, blah, blah. Um, she's calling this person out, that person out, whatever. Whatever the details are, to me, my eyes kind of roll a little bit and I go, sure, sure, that's what happened. Yeah. And, and they're getting all these people and apparently they're having thousands upon thousands of people flock to title because of all this sensationalized story about these celebrities cheating on each other and stuff. To me, it just smells like a... Like a a stunt to get people to sign up for title and it's working. Yeah. I think this is kind of the, you know, what the modern streaming services have resorted to. Cause obviously Apple, I think Apple music is the, the creme de la creme in terms of, you know, the number of artists they have, what they can offer, the DJs they've hired. It's, it's a very well put together organization. And, and so I title think title was notably struggling. Yeah. And I think titles really going to the, you know, deaths and, of of what they can do, and these these stunts won't last forever. Because if Kanye does it, and now Beyonce does it, and next thing you know, someone else is going to do it. Someone else is going to do it. But I think another really interesting point that you we talked about off air was that title originally pitched it as we're giving more money to the artists, and then they kind of pitched the starving artist, yeah, angle. Which come on, you know, like Kanye well, West and Beyonce, those are two. Like, I get it, because people like Jack White and Daft Punk were involved <clears throat> as well. And uh, they were also pushing the whole, uh, it's higher quality, you can stream flack files and all the stuff, which is great, but people are plugging earbuds into their iPhones. So paying 20 bucks a month for a service where you can stream and listen to crappy earbuds, it's it's a gimmick. I, 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 I understand it, and, and I sympathize towards that, but most people don't have the audio equipment. I digress, because... Absolutely. They sold this as we're giving more money per stream to the artists who sign up. But I'm sorry, anybody who is getting excited and joining Tidal to hear the new Beyonce or Kanye West album, they're signing up to hear the new Beyonce or Kanye West album. They're not going to explore all these other artists who aren't as well known. So 
the title on one hand is saying, well, we're giving more money to the artists, but the only artists who people are listening to on these services are the people who are already the most wealthy in the industry, that being Kanye West and Beyonce and other people. People aren't joining to hear Kanye and then go explore the new indie rock progressive rock scene. And there, again, there's nothing, people like what they like and that's fine, but titles shouldn't pretend that they're sitting on some high horse saying we're doing better than to our, to our, the people who are signed up uh, than other people are because no, your people are attracted to who they're attracted to just because you're signed up for title isn't going to make you somehow more popular. I just, I don't understand it. To me, it's very, as soon as you start to think about it, it just falls apart. Yeah. But you know, whatever I've heard title itself as a service is fine. Like it works really well. You can get a service that's either 10 or $20. So it's really the same as Apple music or Spotify if you're doing the paid version. But I just think the way that they have resorted to getting more people to sign up is definitely, it's pretty obviously they're saying, Hey, come on, we're, we're, we don't have the money we thought we were going to have. So we're going to start releasing high-end exclusives, which are they really that exclusive? No, because mm-hmm. I can go on Apple Music right now on my phone and listen to the Life of Pablo if I want, but they got 10 million people to sign up. I don't know if that number's true. I just made that up. Yeah. To, uh, just to hear Kanye, Kanye West. And they all got suckered. Yeah. That's the end of it. Yeah. Still a good, again, streaming service is awesome. We love them all. Yeah. We happen to have Apple Music, but we love them all. Yeah, and I, and I only picked Apple Music because I have, you know, an iPhone and stuff. And yeah, it's easy. It's, it's it's tremendously built in. easy. Yeah, it's all built into the system and everything. Most people I know have Spotify. That's yeah, the, that's the big one. Yeah. So on to obsessions, Ethan. What are you obsessed about? Well, it's finally spring here in Wisconsin. Spring break. <laughs> yeah. So I've been I've been looking forward to getting outside more. Uh, this weekend we're gonna grill. We found some new recipes we're gonna try and. Just excited to, especially with grilling, to get out. I like to grill with charcoal, and I got some new recipes we want to try out. And I've really been thinking about having time to go out and do that because my my week at work has just been crazy for a couple of weeks here. So I haven't had a whole lot of time to enjoy the nice weather. But pretty much all day, I'm sitting at my desk at work, looking outside, going, "Shit, here." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's a bummer. So how about you? For me. Um... Honestly, Clash of Clans. Just just recently, I've been kind of getting back into that. Um, but other than that, you know, same thing. Outdoors. We I just used my grill for the first time this spring, and then I mowed my grass for the first time. So that was awesome. And <sighs> you just reminded me, we, our lawn needs to be cut so bad, but we don't have. I'm too lazy to go get gas for. I just don't have time. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, I, I like mowing the lawn, but I just haven't had time yet, and it looks bad. But it, it's okay because most of the lawns look bad because this is the type of year where people are in the same situation where they're like, well, my lawnmower was, you know, there's no gas in it, and there's no oil in it, blah, blah, blah. That's me making excuses. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, lawnmower. Sorry, lawn and lawnmower. No, it's all good. Well, cool, man. This has been an awesome episode. For sure. Do we have Silent. any idea what we're going to do next well civil war it doesn't come out until next week friday so we have oh, one next a- week friday yes was... so we have another week Ooh, yet so we'll have to maybe jungle that. book mm, that that's that'd be an interesting one that'd i'd be fun my vote initially would be to do that. Ooh, you know what is opening is the green room 
look that movie up. That is what I'd like to see. That's opening. I saw a trailer for that, and I was like, I want to check this out. So maybe that's what we'll do. But follow us on Twitter and Instagram, or and of course Facebook. Facebook, Weekly Neurosis everywhere. Weekly Neurosis and W E E K L Y. I'm not even gonna spell neurosis. Any known that? Well, you can't spell the hard word. N E U R. But it's check us out wherever. Yeah, because there, that's where we'll be talking about. Hey, this is what's coming up. We're recording. Blah blah blah. I post some silly crap on Instagram. I recently acquired for my birthday a Star Wars Stormtrooper toothbrush holder, but my wife's mother put a plant in it, and I keep it at my desk at work, and I posted a picture of that, and I named him TRPL10, <laughs> and he's a big fan of the Weekly Neurosis. He's a huge fan. He listens to all of them. All of them. <laughs> That's awesome. So go to Weekly Neurosis to see that stuff, because it's yeah. pretty amazing. All sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, I think I say this every episode. I often forget to switch between my personal account and weekly neurosis. So pretty much, that's become like my official one, more or less. So just if, roll with it. If man. you see something real random, like, ooh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what I tweet. I don't. I don't. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes it'll it'll probably seem real odd. Like, why is this guy tweeting this random crap? Why is this podcast I enjoy tweeting about? You know the plant he keeps at his desk at work <laughs> yeah <laughs> awesome well this has been the the silent episode weekly neurosis we'll be back next week possibly the the jungle book and or green room yeah we'll what if we did two movies that's crazy that's crazy talk no we'll figure out one but anyhow we'll be back next week and again you connect you can connect with us on twitter facebook and instagram all those are weekly neurosis Once again, I am Nate. And I'm Ethan. And everyone, please take care.